You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network, sponsored by our good friends over at Pro Prep. And we're bringing you some post-match reaction to Leeds United 1, Arsenal 4, a third successive victory in the Premier League for the Gunners. It's a victory that takes us four points clear of West Ham, who are in fifth place, which means we'll be in the top four at Christmas for the first time in five years, which is uh, pretty positive. Apologies uh, to those of you who've been waiting in the live chat for the podcast to start. Mikel Arteta was speaking after the game, wanted to hear what he had to say before we went live. And normally those post-match interviews, he'd like so quick to try and get out of them. And he just was taking his sweet time tonight. He must have been enjoying um the victory and, and Mikel Arteta giving us uh, some information on, on what happened uh, as much as he could with regards to an incident in the stadium as well, which we'll come on and talk about in a minute. Uh, but lots and lots to get into, as always. And look, I want to start off by making a point. If you remember back to when we got beat at Everton, um, we were talking about kind of where Arsenal were at and people felt that we'd almost taken like two steps forward and that was two steps back again, that result at Everton. And I remember saying to you guys after that episode that actually we had a run of games from which we could quite easily take a lot of points. And all of a sudden, the whole situation and outlook looks totally different. And this is where we find ourselves now. We've played three games, Southampton, West Ham United and now Leeds. We've won all three of those. We've got Norwich, Wolves in in um, in the games to come. And you're looking at it and you're going, well, you know, we could well be in a pretty decent position come the end of that. And it just goes to show that when people go mad, over the top, overboard and react excessively to individual results, the, the picture in the Premier League can change so quickly. And now we're looking at an Arsenal team that are winning games, winning football matches. You know, that kept a couple of clean sheets. OK, we should have probably kept a clean sheet tonight. And it's not it's not good that we didn't keep a clean sheet. But when it's something of your own making, i.e. the goal comes as a consequence of something that you... Look, no, let me rephrase this because people are going to take this the wrong way. When you make individual errors, they're never OK. But what individual errors are is is a sign that actually what you've done for the most part has been right. You haven't conceded a goal tonight because of your system or because of the way Mikel Arteta's asked the team to play. The goal we conceded tonight was off the back of a moment of madness from Ben White. We'll come on and talk about that in a minute. But the point I'm trying to make is if you concede goals because of things like that, it means that you're not conceding goals because of the tactical side of the game. And individual errors have plagued Arsenal for years. And it's something we definitely need to work on and definitely need to cut out. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's not a systemic issue. It's an individual issue. And uh, and that's what we saw with Ben White tonight. So, look, 
we'll come on to talk about the game, some individuals, but the, the kind of overarching feeling for me is that things in football can change so very, very quickly. And you can go from the ultimate low, which we felt at Everton, to feeling really high. You're looking at an Arsenal team now that is not only defending well for the most part, you know, as I said, conceded just the one in the last three games, but is also attacking with a poignancy, with a purpose, with a verve, with a with a zip, with a tempo. And and there's so much confidence flowing through those front players at the moment. And then you're bringing Emil Smith-Rowe off of the substitutes bench and he's coming on and scoring goals as well. And there's just such a buzz around the place at the moment. And look, Leeds were shocking. Let's get that out of the way early doors. Nobody's sitting here saying that Leeds United were good and that Arsenal were or needed to be uh, incredible to get all three points tonight. We needed to be good. We needed to take chances. Mikel Arteta, who's been ridiculed by Arsenal fans uh, with people saying that his team don't create chances, his team don't attack enough, his team are too negative. Well, Mikel Arteta's team this evening uh, actually broke a record. Since Opta began taking records uh, in the Premier League, Mikel Arteta's team had the most shots on target in a single half of a game this evening. So, look, it doesn't mean that all is right and that we're not going to see any bumps in the road anymore. It doesn't mean that, you know, we've completely turned the corner. There are going to be difficult games. There are going to be difficult fixtures. I'm not, I'm being accused in the chat of being overreactionary. I'm not being overreactionary. I'm simply highlighting to you and to everybody listening that in football, things can change quite quickly and you can go from feeling the ultimate low to feeling quite high and quite positive and optimistic about the direction in which we're going. And for all the criticism we've had about our attack, we're now seeing Arsenal attack with a lot more flow, with a lot more confidence. Look, Leeds ain't the greatest side defensively, neither are Southampton really, but West Ham are stubborn. They're a difficult side to break down and we did that as well. So all I'm saying here is be pleased with where we're at. I think a lot of us recognise that the top four is still a difficult ask of this Arsenal side. We're in a good position now, but things often level themselves out over the course of the season. But enjoy the victories. Otherwise, what the hell is the point in um, in watching football, in following a team, if you can't enjoy such a comfortable victory away from home? And this is the Premier League. There's, there's so many difficult games in it. So when you go away from home, you perform the way we did, especially in the first half. You completely control the game um, and you put the ball in the back of the net on four occasions. I think you should be pretty pleased with that and uh, and, and should be delighted by it. So I, I certainly am anyway. But let's talk about the starting lineup. It was un, an unchanged side from the team that Mikel Arteta named to start against West Ham United. Now, the only di couple of differences was that Bern Leno was back on the substitutes bench in place of Arthur Okonkwo. And unfortunately, Sambi Lakonga missed out having tested positive for COVID. But there were question marks around whether Smith-Rowe was going to come back into the side against West Ham. Mikel Arteta opted to stick with the guys that performed so admirably against Southampton in the week prior. And this evening, he decided to do the same thing. Gabriel Martinelli has been sensational of late and absolutely warrants his place in the team. And Mikel Arteta had received a lot of stick, hadn't he, for, um, you know, had received a lot of stick for the way he dealt with with Martinelli. People were saying he doesn't like him. He doesn't want him. This player has no future under him. And actually, if you listen to Mikel Arteta's post-match interview on Sky, he spoke, he made a 
really poignant point uh, about the fact that somebody like Gabriel Martinelli can't just be thrown in. These players need to develop. These players need to understand the game tactically. They need to understand what it is that their manager is asking of them. They need to learn how to pace themselves. Martinelli, especially who's someone who plays at 100 miles per hour, needs to know when to give it, when to maybe ease off the accelerator a little bit. And I think we're seeing a lot more balance and a lot more maturity in Gabriel Martinelli's game. We always knew that he was potent in front of goal. We always knew that he carried a threat in that sense. And he showed that again today. So um, really, really good performance from him. And I think actually he benefited from a lot of what was going on in and around him, as did Bukayo Saka on the other side. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth because I've decided that tomorrow's tactical analysis is going to be about the different roles that Alexander Lacazette um, can play and is playing, depending on Mikel Arteta's game plan, depending on the opponent. Because if you watch today's game back again, and I will do that, I'm sure I'm going to say that the role he played today was totally different to the role he played against West Ham United when we were faced with a low block and had to play in a very different manner. Now, I mentioned it on the watch along for those of you that joined me, that there's a difference between how Lacazette operated this evening in that, without going into it in too much detail, because I'll save it for the tactical analysis that we'll be doing next, but... The point was here that against West Ham, Lacazette had to occupy centre-halves. He had to play that bit higher up. He had to pin them back and he had to try and, by doing so, by pinning them as close to their goal as possible, create the space between the lines for Odegaard to get into and others to get into. Whereas tonight, it was a lot of, uh, about Lacazette dropping into deeper areas and bringing centre-halves with him. Now, you can't do that against West Ham because at David Moyes' side are not going to encourage their centre-backs to run out of the um, out of the centre of defence and out of their position in order to go with the striker. It's a very different game. And, um, and that's kind of what I want to highlight, the versatility within Alexander Lacazette to be able to play both of those roles and quite effectively. I still think he plays the false nine role probably a little bit better. But the fact that in two different, in two consecutive games, two games within the space of a few days, He's played two totally different roles for me, I think is important. And it highlights that there is a lot more attention to detail right now from Arsenal. There is a lot more of a plan when it comes to individual fixtures. So we'll get on to all of that, as I say, in tomorrow's tactical analysis. Martinelli, obviously, for me, the star of the show. You know, the first goal, when the ball dropped after we thought we should have had a free kick, it, it came off the back of Lacazette just managing to get a toe in and the ball breaking in the penalty area, you knew he was going to score. He's that confident at the moment, and he's that dangerous in front of goal. And I said it again on the watch-along, and apologies if you if you were with me on that, if you sound like I'm, or it sounds like I'm repeating myself. But what he did was, he sort of looked at the situation, he opens up his foot so that he can make sure he gets as much guidance on the direction of the ball as possible. But he also gets so much behind it as well, which makes it impossible for Ilan Melier to save. And all he can do is pick the ball out of his net. Now, the second goal came from a wonderful pass from Granit Xhaka, defence split ball. And Martinelli, again, gets on the wrong side of the defender from the defender's perspective. His first touch, Gabriel Martinelli, when you watch that first goal back again, uh, the second goal, sorry, back again, wasn't perfect, but he... He doesn't panic. He stays composed and he manages to kind of regain his balance and, and regain his kind of stride pattern. And then he just dinks it over the on-rushing goalkeeper. That's a really mature finish, that one. It's a really mature goal. And it's 
It's an ice cold finish. It's the finish of someone who gets in that situation and doesn't get flustered. Isn't just relying solely on instinct. Is thinking through what he's going to do, and that is the sign of a top top player. You know, I'm, a lot of people used to talk about. Do you remember Theo Walcott? I'm not comparing the two players, but the example or the point I want to make is that Theo Walcott was one of those players that, if he was in a situation like Martinelli was tonight, he'd have missed it. He'd have fluffed his lines because he'd have had to think about how he was going to cope with the first touch not being great and his stride sort of not being as as rhythmical as he'd have liked. Whereas Martinelli seems to have that coolness in front of goal to be able to go, my first touch wasn't great. I've got to adjust my run now. I've got to adjust my stride. And in adjusting that, while I'm doing that, I'm still thinking about how I'm going to finish it and how I'm going to deal with the goalkeeper who is coming rushing out. So I think there's a lot to be said for how cool, composed and well thought out that finish is from Gabriel Martinelli. Sensational young man. He's working extremely hard. As I said, Mikel Arteta um, says he doesn't know what the limit is for this guy because he's that talented. He's that passionate. He's He's got everything. And I'm really, really enjoying him playing at the moment. As I say, his ability to mature from a tactical point. And look, a lot of the time we were moaning about him not playing last season, perhaps a lot of the time on the training ground has, has worked wonders for him because he does seem more mature. He does seem more sophisticated in his game. It's not just about chasing people like a, a dog after a bone for 90 minutes. It's, it's There's a control to that aggression now. And it's the kind of control that makes him effective for longer. And I'm really, really enjoying it and really liking uh, the way that he's developing. Another player who was absolutely brilliant tonight was uh, Martin Erdegaard, pulling strings, I think I put in the title. Um, his pass for Emil Smith-Rowe's goal, the fourth, was wonderful. But he was at the forefront of everything Arsenal did well in an attacking sense this evening. For Saka's goal, if you watch his position where he starts out in the lead, in the beginning of that move and where he ends up, which is overlapping Bukayo Saka on the outside, having come right across the pitch, you can see that this guy's just got so much hunger, so much desire, and technical ability is there for everybody to see. He's a Rolls-Royce of a player. He's he's so, so good. And, and at times, we've seen little dips in Martin Odegaard's form, not just this season, but last season when he spent the second half of it on loan with us. And I think that is natural uh, for someone of his age. You've got to remember as well that Martin Odegaard is someone who's having to kind of rebuild his confidence. And I say that because this is a young lad who Real Madrid plucked out of nowhere at the age of 16. He, he was getting his dream move, the biggest football club in the world. He goes there doesn't really get a chance, goes out on loan, performs okay, performs pretty well in the first couple of loans, then goes to Real Sociedad where he started to kind of get people's attention. And you're thinking, you know, this guy's got something. But when you get signed by Real Madrid at such a young age, at a fragile age, and you don't really cut the mustard at Real Madrid, bear in mind the side that was winning back-to-back -back European Cups, it can dent your confidence, I'm sure. And I think that Martin Odegaard is on that path to rebuilding that at Arsenal. And so we have to be aware that there will be slight dips in form, as there is with everybody. But I just think overall, he brings so much to our team in that area. And you can see why Mikel Arteta is such a huge fan of him. You can see why the club were desperate uh, to lay down the 30, 35 million pounds, whatever it was, to make sure that he came over on a permanent basis. It looked as though the deal was dead at one point. 
I, I told you guys throughout the summer on multiple occasions that as long as there was an option, as long as there was a possibility that Arsenal could bring the Norwegian back, they were absolutely going to do it. And um, yeah, I, I just I, I agree with uh, with Jay Dubia's comment where he says he's been great from such a young age. He just needs to feel like he belongs, and and that is what I get. Um, from him as well. And that's what I think he's finding at Arsenal. He was obviously very happy with the second half of the season, um, you know, that he had last time out. And again, I know there was a slight dip in form off the back of an injury during that period, but he just feels like he's finding his feet. He's adapting to the Premier League more and more week on week. He's incredibly hardworking, leads a press by example. He's a natural leader, technically so secure, so good, has vision, that I think surpasses that of anybody else in the team. And you can see that with the calibre of passes he's picking out. I just think he's wonderful, um, brilliant player. A couple of other bits and pieces. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Granit Xhaka, who I thought was having a really, really good game until he went and made that stupid challenge um, on Rafinha. And look, some people disagreed with me during the watch-along and said that I was being overly harsh and that, uh, you know, I was wrong. With that challenge, I think if the referee had brandished the red card, I don't think any of us could have complained about it. I can understand why the referee and the officials have decided that it's not a red card. And I can understand why they felt that it's not a clear and obvious error. And he does get something on the ball and it's the follow through is a bit naughty. But no, you know, for me, if that was against us, I'd be raging. So I want to be fair. I, I want to scrap the bias. I think it's a moment of pure stupidity from Granit Xhaka and to see him just seconds later steaming into a skirmish uh, on the other side of the pitch where Joe Gelhart has made a, a similar challenge and, and sort of insisting, demanding that the player gets booked, I think is is mad. Um, but look, that's that's what Granit Xhaka has in him sometimes. You know, those moments where I talked with Martinelli, didn't I, about controlled aggression. I don't think that Granit Xhaka can always control it. I think sometimes he sees red. I think sometimes his uh, over-enthusiasm can, um, can can put him in situations like that. And it's something he needs to cut out of his game. I think a lot of the time in those situations, reputation can dictate what the outcome is, i.e. that can dictate whether a player is sent off. The referee will look and go, well, that was Granit Xhaka. He's got previous. Uh, and so, therefore, I, he, he must have meant it. He must have gone over the top of the ball, even if I'm not sure history can often dictate the referee's decision. So I think um, that he's quite fortunate to have gotten away with that, to be honest. And and listen, I'm a big defender of Granit Xhaka because outside of that, outside of those stupid moments, I do feel he brings a lot to this team. I think he brings a security in that midfield alongside Thomas Partey that A, makes Thomas Partey look better and more comfortable. And he hasn't looked anywhere near as exposed in the middle of the park since Granit Xhaka's come back into the side. Um, he also brings leadership. And and again, with Granit Xhaka, it's not always by example, clearly, when you look at that challenge. But he also brings stability, not just in the midfield, but to Arsenal's left-hand side. And what I'm saying is that his positioning, where he does take up that slightly left-of-centre role, it does afford Kieran Tierney more freedom to get forward, knowing that Granit Xhaka is going to plug those holes. And in turn, that leads to Gabriel Martinelli being able to play a little bit more like a left forward than a left winger who's tasked with coming back every five minutes. So I think he does give something. He gives us structure, security, um, and, and I think that's why he's so important to this team. 
But as I say, incredibly fortunate I felt today not to get sent off. Um, moving on, I just wanted to touch on probably the one of the worst things that we saw this evening, and that is the injury sustained by Takahiro Tomiyasu. Now, I've not seen the press conference yet. I've not heard anything yet um, out of Arsenal on this, but it feels to me like looking at what he, what he was holding, it might be a calf problem. Takahiro Tomiyasu, so, so important to the improvement of this side. And I thought he had a wonderful game tonight. Uh, really, really good game. I thought he was solid throughout. Really enjoyed that moment where he, the ball came across the six-yard box in the second half and he looks over his shoulder, spots the attacker incoming, just stops in front of him, uses his body and big frame to prevent the forward uh, progressing onto the ball, then goes out to the corner flag to retrieve it before knocking it past you at Dallas, turning on the burners and winning Arsenal free kick. So, Takahiro Tomiyasu in that one sort of 20-second period showed everything that he's good at and what he's all about. And look, I'm obviously upset. Um, I'm obviously frustrated that he's picked up an injury. We can only hope that it's not a severe one and that Arsenal pulled him so quickly and without hesitation because of the position we were in. We were 3-0 up. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that's the case. Um Wanted to talk a little bit about Bukayo Saka's performance as well. I thought he was very good too. Um, you know, we were talking in the watch along with some of you guys in the live chat about the fact that Bukayo Saka is somebody who, if he could just add a few more goals, a handful of goals, because he has improved in that sense of late, but if he could add a little bit more in product, because he always gets in the positions and his build-up plays as good as any wingers in the league. I would go as far as saying that, but he just needs to add a little bit more in product. If he could do that, He's unplayable at times. He's found the new confidence. He's now able to kind of... Apologies. He's now able to kind of, I think, beat players with much more ease. With much, He's got that... I kept talking about that word when I talk about this front line. He is oozing in confidence at the moment. And he's now got the confidence to drop the shoulder, to give a step over, to shift direction quickly. And, and he's just been wonderful. Um when he's kind of got himself into those positions. As Zeus says in the chat, he's more of a dribbler. He absolutely is a dribbler. Um, but if he could add that last bit to his game a little bit more, then he could be devastating. He really, really could. We've got some fantastic talent on our hands. We really have. And that's largely why so many of us feel positive about the direction in which this team's going. We know that we're not there yet. We know that we're not the finished article yet. But there's so much to be encouraged about with these young players who are ultimately going to be the core and the, the foundation of this project that is being built. Obviously, Arsenal uh, conceded a goal. I touched on it earlier on, right at the top of the show. It's frustrating when you see a goal conceded off the back of an individual error. But as I said, looking at it with the glass half full perspective, it means that tactically, if that's the only goal you conceded, it means that tactically you got it right. And, and we did get it right. And we have been getting it right for a while. And again, individual errors have, have been a problem. And, and I didn't really expect this one from Ben White, who I was saying is always so calm and cool and collected. Just got a rush of blood to the head there, Ben White. And I must admit, when I first saw the challenge, when I first saw him come across the penalty box and I saw the ball slightly change direction, I thought, oh, he's got something on the ball here. No trouble. But he doesn't. He goes in wildly. Um and it's so unlike Ben White to go to ground. I think someone said during the watch along that it was a granite Xhaka challenge made by Ben White. It, it certainly felt like that. But there can be no question about it. It was absolutely a penalty kick. It was absolutely the right decision. And Rafinha dispatched it. And look, you're, 
you're looking at it and you're going, well, it's avoidable and it's silly and it's the kind of thing that we need to cut out of our game. But you'd rather it happen this evening at Ellen Road in a game that maybe got a little bit under Benjamin White's skin because, of course, he played as a huge part for Leeds United um, during their promotion season. And he did get involved in a couple of moments with Leeds United players tonight where there was a bit of a standoff, especially with Rafinha. And I just wonder if, and I don't know if he was getting stick from the crowd, but if he was, or, or I don't know, you know, I'm, I wasn't there. But I do wonder if he um, he felt a little bit overwhelmed by the entire um, the entire fixture and all that it meant to him personally. And maybe he felt that he needed to kind of prove a point um, because Leeds wouldn't go that extra mile. Maybe they couldn't, but they didn't go that extra mile to sign him on a permanent basis. They weren't willing to meet the price uh, valuation set by Brighton, which was was bloody high. Um, so I don't know. Maybe he um, maybe he just got kind of suckered in a little bit, but it's uncharacteristic, and it's not something we've seen often from Ben White. So I'm not going to read too much into it. Um, Emil Smith Rowe coming off of the substitutes bench and once again adding another goal. He's Arsenal's top goal scorer in the Premier League, and I think what's really encouraging, right? Because somebody like Emil Smith Rowe, who's been wonderful this season and has been Arsenal's you know biggest attacking threat you could argue has found himself in a position where he missed out on a fixture Gabriel Martinelli came in done wonderfully and that has taken that left-sided position off of him Martin Odegaard is also playing well which means that he cannot just uh move back into the middle and play in the number 10 role but what what doing what Emil Smith-Rowe is doing now does to the entire team and squad is it highlights that these players can be and are engaged even when they're not starting games. So Emil Smith-Rowe would have looked at the team sheet today, would have heard the announcement today from the manager or whenever it was that Mikel revealed who was going to start and felt like, come on, man, I came on against West Ham United. I scored the goal that ultimately proved to put the game to bed and I still can't get back in this team. But when you come on as Emil Smith-Rowe, and you get fed a delicious ball after he won the ball back, by the way, uh, Mill Smith-Rowe himself. You get fed a delicious ball by Martin Odegaard and you stick it in the back of the net and you get a goal and you continue in your wonderful run of form and you continue to prove people wrong who said that you couldn't score enough goals, including me. I was worried about that. You know, I hold my hands up. I, I kept saying that I was worried about the fact that we were going to rely on these young guys to, to keep producing moments or as Mikel Arteta says to affect games I was really worried about that and and they're proving me at this moment in time they're proving me wrong which is great but when you come on and you get that goal all of a sudden the idea of being on the bench obviously it's a, it's not something you want as a footballer right you want to start as many games as you can but what it does is it means that Emil Smith-Rowe's overriding feeling or 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 feeling that he leaves Ellen Road with is not one of frustration that he only got a, a short period of time at the end of the game. It's one of, well, I scored a goal and continued my great run. And all of a sudden, the benching isn't such a big deal. It's still a deal and it's still an issue. And I'm sure he'd rather start. But it, it just, it keeps people, when you make the right changes at the right times and those changes come on and affect the game, it, um, it really kind of, I think it helps keep everybody engaged. It helps keep everybody um, 
you know, singing from the same hymn sheet and it, and it keeps the team spirit up. Football is a squad game now in 2021 more than ever. And it's important that you keep players engaged and you keep players in the loop. And we've got options up top now and in that attack, those attacking positions. And we're having to rotate. We're going to have to rotate at this moment in time. Martinelli's form is so good. You can't take him out. You'd be stupid to take him out. But Emil Smith-Rowe is there and he's knocking on the door. And that's what you want as a manager. You want the players that are not starting games of football to always be knocking on the door. And Emil Smith-Rowe is certainly doing that. Wonderful goal from him. And uh, great to see him continue in his uh, rich vein of form. So I think Mikel Arteta has got some good problems to deal with at this moment in time. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else do we want to touch on? I, I did want to touch on the racism incident at Ellen Road. And this will kind of be the final point, And then I'll, I'll sort of wrap it up with a bit of a conclusion. We are going to be doing that tactical analysis show on Alexander Lacazette tomorrow. So come and join me for that uh, tomorrow morning. Um, and then... On that, I will take Q&A um, as well. So we'll save the Q&A for that so we can spend a, a longer period of time on it. But I just wanted to touch on the racism incident. Look, I think Mikel Arteta nailed his post-match comments about this incident. Now, Arsenal clearly uh, felt that one of their players was the target of racial abuse. I don't want to say, look, Leeds fans have got a really shit reputation. They always have had. And I, in the past, have, have been on things... Um, like 90 Min and, and other shows, and said, well, it's Leeds, I'm not surprised. And, and that's because growing up, that's the reputation that Leeds United always had, uh, for me anyway. And and I think, you know, they've it's been well documented that there are problems, uh, you know, in in sort of sports still. And, and, you know, the Yorkshire Cricket Club was... Um, is, a, is an issue as well. There's been problems there. I'm not saying that people, everybody in Yorkshire is racist. I'm not saying that for a moment. What I'm saying is that when I hear that an incident like that has gone on, especially outside of London, because I think there is a, there's still a bit of a, how do I put this without offending people? I, I don't think that the rest of England, put it that way, is as multicultural as London is. And therefore, I think that these incidents still, um, you know, come up and come about from time to time so i'm not surprised that at a football club like leeds this has happened um tonight but it would be wrong of me to say that leeds i know i feel like i'm going around in a, in a circle here where i'm going to end up in a bad place and i don't want to offend anyone that's from leeds or from yorkshire right i think that incidents like this outside of london are more common than they are in london because there is less of a multicultural kind of group. I mean, at Arsenal, it's so multicultural. And when I go to away grounds, I am often quite struck by how unmulticultural they are in comparison to what I see at Arsenal every week. Um, yeah, Manchester, Birmingham, as some people are saying, are diverse as well. But is the crowd that go to Leeds as diverse as the crowd that goes to Arsenal? I absolutely don't think it is. Um, so the point I'm trying to make here is that I don't want to say, oh, well, this is Leeds. I'm not surprised. And I think Mikel Arteta nailed it when he said that the whole stadium shouldn't be punished for the actions of one idiot. And I agree with that. Um, so I'm, I'm trying really hard not to say, well, this is Leeds um, and, and I expect it is the point I'm trying to make. I, I'm trying to be, well, this is one individual idiot and, and we shouldn't label leads like that although my initial gut goes 
it's Leeds. I expect it. And that's wrong. That's something that needs to change. But for those of you who don't know what the incident was, uh, one of our substitutes was racially abused uh, by a member of the Leeds crowd. So the point I've gone around a million and one houses to make is that my initial gut reaction when I hear of something like this in Leeds is, well, it's Leeds. It's dirty Leeds. It's not London. This shit happens all the time up there. That's my initial gut reaction because of what I've seen growing up and because of what I've heard. And now I'm trying to shift that and I'm trying to be mindful. And I think Mikel Arteta was incredibly mature and, and smart about it in the way he highlighted that, yeah, we shouldn't direct all this anger and frustration at this incident as leads as a football club. The onus is now on them to investigate, find out what happened, make sure that it's dealt with. But ultimately, um, you know, the, the actions of one idiot shouldn't reflect on the entire club. So I think that's spot on. But yeah, um, to summarise the podcast, to summarise this edition of the show, uh, enjoy the victory as you should enjoy all Arsenal victories. Um, really lots of positives again in an attacking sense. Moment of stupidity cost us a goal. Uh, so we were denied of the clean sheet, but we're four points clear of fifth place. We're going well and uh, fingers crossed. You know, I know that a lot of these teams have got games to make up on us, but as I was saying, having the points in the bag is valuable. And we don't know what's going to happen with the Premier League. We're going to have to sit tight. There is a meeting taking place on Monday in which we expect either the Premier League to have a little bit of a postponement or um, or for them to be set out some clear uh, sort of guidelines and, uh, and rules around what warrants getting a game postponed and what doesn't. I think that's important for the integrity of the competition. There needs to be consistency. So, um, yeah, we'll find out what happens then. But Arsenal are in a good moment at this minute in time and we don't really want it to stop. Um, but if we had been struck with as many COVID cases in and among the playing staff as some of the other teams, I would have wanted it stopped too. As I would have wanted it stopped too. So I think we're fortunate that we got to play our game. We won it as well, which makes it even better. And uh, we move on. But it's a really fluid um, situation. And it's one that I think nobody really knows what the correct answer is um, with regards to how we proceed. So part and parcel of, of uh, the times we're living in. It is what it is. Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Uh, let me check in on how many likes we've got because there's well over 300 of you watching us right now, which is fantastic when you consider how many of you were with me for the watch along as well. We've got 94 likes on the board. Let's get over the 100 mark. That really, really helps. We've hit 17 and a half K subscribers, which is great. Let's keep pushing forward. Hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you want to go on further and become a member, you can do so. I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Hashtag.